A stu- stu- Studio D production. Everybody has <laughs> boobies. Everybody does have That's boobies. That's true. Some men just don't have much Most boobies. Most people in general have larger boobs than me. Just <laughs> across the board. <laughs> yeah, see, so it's not just a woman thing. We just deposit more fat in our boobs than men do. That's all. It's just fat. Any guy listening, boobs are just fat. <laughs> Quit sexualizing them. We should just, anytime that... Um, like we should Please just start sexualize calling them the fat. fat on my other body parts. <laughs> also. Yeah. You should start sexualizing my belly fat. Yeah. We should just like start calling it our fat all the time. Like, you know, like in my, like in sexual context, sex. like in, in society, like when someone's talking about, oh, look at those hot fat lumps. <laughs> fat sex. Fat sex. Fat sex. Fat sex. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that song. Hot sex. Sex. <laughs> Desexualize it real fast. Oh, that would. Oh, that would. <laughs> Eyes up here, buddy. Quit looking at my fat sacks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a leg guy. Sit down. I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. With murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls. It's all really fucked up, so don't. It's after family story time. I like a good It's hello, everyone. Welcome to Effed Up Family Story Time. I'm Salem, and I'm Hannah. And here today we have Kelly. Hello, and Belle. Hey. Sorry, I never know what in- order to introduce you I'm guys. Sorry, in. it always keeps me on my toes. No, and I'm really waiting to find out which one of us you like more today. Every time that you do the announcement, so. it's like I'm the one. I won, Belle. I won. Was it my dad sent me one time this meme that Nara had, I guess, sent to him? But it was like everybody is always like, "No, I don't have a favorite child, but I do," and it changes based on who is pissing me off the least at that moment. <laughs> And I responded, I was like, good to know that I am usually your favorite child because it's at the point where I'm off to in my own life. All of my mistakes are my own. <laughs> yeah, you very rarely piss your dad off anymore. Yeah, The one who is most dependent on him yeah. then still. always. Especially, God, that boy is getting into so much fucking trouble. He's living up to my dad's record, I guess. <laughs> I It's Joe's curse because he had a son. And now his son is going to be exactly like he was. <laughs> well, Grandma and Grandpa thought I was going to get the curse and you guys were going to give me the hell that I gave them. And that didn't happen. I kind of did. Eh, not really. Not as bad. It hasn't not happened even, yet. Nobody got pregnant. But it was... <laughs> yeah, nobody got pregnant. Thanks. Um, the, now that you said that, my 26th year of life will be devoted to giving you the shit that you gave Grandma and Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> that way though because i can just be like whatever hannah take you care like, of yourself go home, yeah. like, go home and you already get out of here knock all my shit over I, <laughs> I don't know every time that like a child in my vicinity gets in trouble for doing something like that i'm like they're so young and then i think about the fact that i started smoking cigarettes when i was 12 and I smoked weed when I was 12. That makes and me I mad. started drinking when I was 12. And you were <laughs> mad that I moved your ass away from that fucking school and those fucking people. Yeah. <laughs> not that you, I don't know. Not what? that you didn't have 
influences at DSSP. Yeah, I smoked more weed at DSSP but than... <laughs> that, you were 12, I'm yeah. saying. That's different. Most 12-year-olds don't do that. That neighborhood True. was shit. That and all of those fucking kids that you grew up, <laughs> that you ended up not going to high school with, that you were so pissed about, all of them ended up pregnant. So Every true. fucking single all, one, of them. one of them. I actually, <laughs> so I know you were mad, but you cannot be mad at me I anymore. Never, no, I I'm did not the best pressured. thing for you. I was like the only one in high school that like didn't drink, didn't smoke, but like everybody still hung out with me. Every I remember one time one of my friends was like having a big party and like inviting a bunch of people and he like turned to me and he was like, Oh, I'm sorry I didn't invite you. I just figured you wouldn't want to go. But he like <laughs> thought about it. He was like, Oh no. He was like I was like, Yeah, I wouldn't go, but thanks. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Well, we were talking about awkwardness earlier. <laughs> we just had a little bit of that awkwardness that I could actually see people being really attracted to, not in a sexual way, but just like attracted to like it's oh, cute. it's Belle. Poor Belle. Belle. Let's take her in. <laughs> Well, and you were a good kid. You didn't do any of that no. stuff, which was so funny to me, actually. Yeah. Now that I look now, back, like it's looking funny at to you now, too. I'm like, what the, f- what the fuck happened? Well, you turned an adult and you became a I did the opposite. deviant. <laughs> yeah, and you did the opposite because you're not a deviant anymore now. No, not at you're all. You're so straight laced. Mm-hmm. So, so straight laced. You're so you go to straight. church every Sunday. <laughs> Laced. You're so straight. Laced. <laughs> so, uh, Spotify wrapped, right? Whip It by Devo was like my number seven most played song because one day I'm going to do it at karaoke and I'm going to do both voices. So, I've been practicing. But every single time it comes on, it'll be like, uh, get straight. And I'll turn to Kyle and be like, no. <laughs> and then just keep singing. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, yeah, we have been rambling because it's been a while since we've been together. So we took a break and we're back now recording again here in the studio. It is coming up on Christmas time. So this is our uh, last episode ever. No. Um, (laughs) After this episode. Shit, I didn't know that. After this episode, we're going to take a break for the holidays, and when we come back, we're going to come back strong with some new content and some new ideas, so stay tuned for what's coming up, and if you miss us, you can always go back and listen to some of our older episodes. We do have more than 70 now, so that can keep you busy busy over the next couple of weeks, so... Mine are the best. This is Kelly talking. <laughs> and Just this, kidding. we're going to leave you with this one here. Um, another story by Kelly. Woo, woo. All right, Kelly. So <laughs> what's your story? Today I'm going to tell the story of the Sauter family and the Christmas fire of 1945. Ooh. Ooh. You, anybody know this story? No, no. The Sauter family sounds familiar, though. I've I've heard of. You've this. heard it, yeah. Well, I was thinking about how all the best Christmas songs are sad Christmas songs, or so I've read, and I think <laughs> it's actually legit. Like, there's a, a the so- best Christmas songs are the ones that have like a wistfulness, a, a nostalgia, um, a remembrance of times past, a wanting to be near family. Um, so I was trying to play with the idea that are the best Christmas stories. Shoes. What? <laughs> I said I want to buy these shoes. Yes. For my mama, please. <laughs> Maybe that's evidence. I don't know the song. Oh, that's that no. Christmas shoes suck. It's oh, so funny. Yeah, these shoes are just her size. 
See, every <laughs> best Christmas. I mean, I don't know if I would put that in the best Christmas. No, song it's a ever, terrible Christmas. But song. a lot of great Christmas songs are sad. So mm-hmm. I was trying to like explore the possibility of the best Christmas stories also being sad. But I think it went too dark. Oh no, <laughs> it's a little too sad. We're huh? gonna. I don't know. I think like wistful and nostalgic is not like. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not really what we're going for today uh, in this story, but we're going to celebrate the holidays together here woo. anyway um, with my story about the sad, sad Sodder family. All right. So the Sodder family was fathered by George Sodder. <laughs> I didn't phrase that right, but I wanted the, to keep going the, the with the The Eternals. The Sodder family was fathered by George Sodder. Are we writing a sad Christmas song about oh, this story? Is that what you're doing? It, it just sounded like a, a song. It did. Song. It just sounded. I like think it, it should... sounds a little bit like a rap. You know how? What is it called? There's a term for it where there's like the rhyming words within the the sentence. Like it's a term in in rap music where so like solder and father being in the same sentence, not just at the end of the line. There's a term for it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, well, I am, can't wait to hear your Christmas song about the Sodder family. Okay, George Sodder was born uh, originally Giorgio Sodu in Italy. He was born in 1895, so end of, the, end of the 19th century. He was born in Italy. He immigrated to the United States when he was 13 years old. He immigrated with an older brother, but the older brother went back as soon as the boys had cleared customs at Ellis Island. So George was alone in the United States at the age of 13 years old. That's terrifying. Yeah, where he started his life. Uh, For the rest of his life. I wish I could have done that with you guys. Just like, oh, you're 13 now. Go start your life. (laughs) Off you go. Uh, So he did go by the name of George at that point in time, even though he was originally uh, Giorgio. What? Oh, just that that makes me nervous even now. No, I wish I could right. do that now. Start You're your 26 life. Like, now, Hannah. Go what? start your life. <laughs> Hannah's not 26 until tomorrow. I have tomorrow. a day. <laughs> I have a whole day. But by the time this episode airs, they will be 26. Yeah, I will have been 26 for like a month. You'll, yeah. you'll have been taking care of yourself. So half of, of Hannah's age was the age of George. <laughs> he, like I said, he was Giorgio, but he went by the name George, which a lot of, a lot of immigrants switched their names. So, but for the rest of his life, he was for some reason reticent to talk about his youth, and he never explained what happened in Italy to make him want to leave and immigrate to the United States at the age of 13. So we don't know anything about his history before then. But when he got over here at the age of 13, he found work in Pennsylvania, He found work in West Virginia, which is where he eventually landed, and he was actually able to start his own trucking company, uh, which was to haul fill dirt to construction sites and hauling cone, cone, coal that was mined. (laughs) I was like, traffic coats? He just like throws traffic coats back and forth? No, he would haul dirt, fill dirt and coal around. So he was, you know, I mean, this was the generation of, of, of the American dream, the generation of you know, building your pu- pulling yourself up by your bootstraps with all without all of the awful uh, invalidating commentary like, <laughs> components of that that is, are prevalent nowadays. This was that you know era, the beginning twentieth century, where people were able to immigrate at the age of thirteen and make something of themselves yeah. without some of the barriers that I mean, not to say he didn't have a million barriers. So no, that's good still for impressive. Him. Yeah, 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 without a doubt. So one day he walked into a local store called the Music Box and he met the owner's daughter who was Jenny, oh, crap, I was going to look this up, Jenny Cipriani, maybe, okay, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, 
who had also immigrated from Italy when she was just three years old, and they fell in love and they married. Mm-hmm. They ended up having 10 children between 1923. Ah, I don't no. even want one they children. They were really in love. <laughs> between 1923 and 1943. So if he immigrated, I didn't do the math on this. I'm trying to figure out how old he was in 19. So he was 23 plus five. He was 28 when the first child was born. So okay. he had done a lot for himself uh-huh. in a very short amount of time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, way to go, George. We love George. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we like him. Okay. Okay. Great. So George is sufficiently business... spoiled. Yes. <laughs> oh, they settled in Fayetteville, West Virginia, which was an Appalachian town with a small but active Italian immigrant community. So they found their little community in Fayetteville. Uh, George's business prospered, and a local official would say that they were one of the most respected middle-class families around. Okay. So way to go. Yeah. Yay. Now, I sense something bad coming. <laughs> it is. So uh, throughout this time, George also had really strong opinions about certain things, really everything from business to current events and politics. And he was definitely not shy about expressing those opinions. And that sometimes alienated people within his Italian immigrant community. So in particular, he had a strong opposition to the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. And that led to some really strong arguments with other members in, you know, in his community. So to do a little history lesson for those of you who might not remember how Benito Mussolini fits into the landscape of the early to mid 20th century. So Benito Mussolini was an Italian politician and journalist. He founded and led the National Fascist Party. So he is the father of fascism in Italy and responsible for a lot of the spread of fascism during the time before and during the Second World War. He was prime minister of Italy from 1922 until he was eventually deposed in 1943. He was then executed in 1945 by Italian partisans. So even though Mussolini was deposed and executed, there were still some who were loyal to him. And George's criticism of this dictator had left some hard feelings. So in 1940, 1945, in October, where the real like meat of the story starts, there was some conflict between George and some people within his community. So a few uh, interesting things happened that kind of set the stage for the events to follow. In October 1945, there was a stranger who appeared at the Sodder home asking about hauling work, like getting work hauling, I'm assuming like dirt and coal and stuff. He had meandered to the back of the house. He pointed to two separate fuse boxes and he said, this is going to cause a fire someday. And George was like, that's a weird thing for someone to randomly say at my house. Yeah. And especially because he had just had the wiring checked by the local power company because I think they were uh, putting in a telephone line or something like that. And he was like, they thought it was fine. They thought it was in fine condition. So why would you say that? Um, Another kind of interesting thing that happened around the same time was a man was trying to sell the family life insurance. And George was like, thanks, no thanks. And the man became irate. And he said, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. And then he said, you are going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Oh, and I want to go back to... The other guy, this random stranger, Hannah said, did you catch that part? Yeah, he was like, that's going to start a fire. 
Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. He was just like looking for work. And I guess I don't know if he meandered to the back of the house as a part of their discussion for work he could do or what. I thought he was looking for work with his company. But yeah, yeah. he was pointing out the I think it was the fuse box. Yeah, separate two separate fuse boxes and said, this is going to cause a fire. But George had just had that inspected by the Cat Power Company who had done some work and they said it was fine. Yeah, that's really weird. So uh, George also, because he was definitely outspoken about his dislike for the Italian dictator Mussolini, he got into some really heated arguments with uh, with members of Fayetteville's Italian community. So he didn't really take the the threats because the second guy was an open threat like you're yeah. you're gonna pay he didn't really take that seriously because everyone was just kind of mad at him a lot of the time he, no. was a, he was a good guy and he didn't think that you know fascist he wasn't a fascist yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unfortunate but, but that it's so tied to your um your heritage you know like it's so tied to your culture like he, they other people viewed it as him like turning his back on his homeland even though even within his homeland, yeah, people were plenty. against fascists. I mean, but he, Mussolini was fucking killed by Italians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and tired this was, of fascism. This was after his execution that all crazy. this was happening. So, yeah. But yeah, pe- people be straight tripping. That's right. <laughs> so also just uh, as we were leading up into the weeks and months before Christmas, a couple of the older Sodder sons noticed that there was a man parked along the highway nearby that was like really watching the younger kids as they came home from school. So kind of just some weird things happening leading up to Christmas. I do want to give a quick rundown of all the children just because it helped me to think through all the children as we're talking about what's going to happen on Christmas Eve. Spoiler alert. The Christmas story takes place at Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) So something happens on Christmas Eve. So the 10 children, John was the oldest. He was 22 in December of 1945. Joe was 21. He was away at the military. So there were nine kids living in the house. So the oldest still lived there? Yeah, he did. But he was doing work with his dad. Says you. (laughs) No, I was just curious. Uh, The oldest still lived there. The second oldest was in the military. I wasn't saying it despairingly because I know I live in James's (laughs) mom's basement. Leave me alone. (laughs) And John was working with his dad. So he probably was contributing more More than than I do. I pay rent. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Um, Then Marion was the oldest daughter. She was 19. Uh, George Jr. was 16. Maurice... Uh, was the next son, 14, Martha, 12. You don't have to remember all of this, obviously. Lewis was um, a nine-year-old boy. And then there was Jenny, Betty, and Sylvia. Jenny was eight, Betty was five. Sylvia was a two-year-old baby. So Joe, uh, Joe's away. There are nine of them there, ranging in age from two to 22. And I'll try and kind of name their ages, their ages rather than their name when I talk about what happened, because I feel like we might remember better based on ages than random names that I gave you one time. But let's talk about what happened on Christmas Eve in 1945. Uh, so the Sauter family celebrated Christmas Eve. Marion, who was the 19-year-old oldest daughter, had been working at a dime store in town, in downtown Fayetteville. And so she surprised her three younger sisters, who were Martha, Jenny, and Betty, 12, 8, and 5, with new toys she had bought for them. So the younger children were so excited and they were having such a great time on Christmas Eve that they asked their mom if they could stay up later than what would have been their usual bedtime. And so Jenny said, sure, um, at 10 p.m., she told them, you can stay up a little later as long as the two oldest boys were still awake. 
So I think that this would have been the oldest of the younger generation, 14 and 9. 14-year-old Maurice, 9-year-old Louis. They had remembered to put the cows in, feed the chickens. And I think they were the ones that were supposed to be awake with the other kids. And if they went to bed, then the other kids were supposed to go to bed. But they did their chores that they usually do before bed. And John and George Jr., so John was 22 and George Jr. was 16, they had spent the day working with their father. And so they were like, we're peacing out. We're tired. Okay. Okay. You following that generally? Yes. Okay. So then um, Jenny took Sylvia, the two-year-old, and they went to bed. So in the night, Jenny was awoken three different times. The f- this is Jenny the mom, the not Jenny, Jenny the, the mom. child. Oh, good okay. call. <laughs> Banana, yes. I'm sorry. I meant to make a comment about apparently their like eighth child was named after Jenny. <laughs> okay. Seventh child, I think. Well, but what? Their like, fourth boy was named after, after George. George. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. You know, I kind of like that. They ran out of names. Like, yeah, they, they were like, well, we don't have any more original ones. <laughs> then they had two more kids and they had to keep going. So. But yes, Jenny the mom took Sylvia to bed, and then she was awoken three times in the night. So first, the telephone rang at 1230. Jenny woke and went to answer it. The caller was a woman, and her voice was, Jenny did not recognize her voice, and she was asking a name that Jenny was not familiar with. So Jenny was like, you have the wrong number. And at this point, everybody's in bed, right? That's what I was going to ask. Well, she answered the phone first before she kind of checked on it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. um, So she went straight and answered. She was woken up. She went straight and answered the phone. She didn't recognize the woman's voice. She didn't recognize the name she was asking for. She did hear laughter, I think a man's laughter in the background, and clinking (laughs) glasses. So like something was happening on Christmas Eve, 1230 p.m., she also recalled that the woman kind of had a weird laugh, whatever that means. Same girl. <laughs> I also have a weird laugh. <laughs> also, it's 1230 on Christmas Eve. So maybe she was, I don't know, feeling <laughs> yeah. a little something and, and was laughing and having a good old time. But she said, you have the wrong number and hung up. So then as she was going back to bed, she noticed that the lights were still on in the living area or the downstairs area and the curtains were not drawn, which are two things that the children are supposed to attend to before They go to bed when they stay up late after their parents. She also noticed that the front door was unlocked. She saw Marion, the 19-year-old daughter, had fallen asleep on the living room couch, but she didn't see any other children, so she assumed that the ones who had stayed up later had gone back up to the attic where they slept. She closed the curtains, turned out the lights, and returned to bed. Okay. At 1 a.m., she was awoken the second time, this time by the sound of an object hitting the house's roof with a loud bang and then rolling off. And she was like, okay, what's, you know, she didn't hear anything else. So she was like, okay, going back to sleep. <laughs> then she woke up another half an hour later. So this is like 1.30 a.m. ish on Christmas morning. And she was smelling smoke. So she got up. She found that the room George used for his office was on fire uh, around the telephone line and the fuse box. So Jenny woke him up. He woke up his older sons, John and George Jr. And they were able to get out of the house. So parents, John, George, and Marion, the 19-year-old who had fallen asleep on the living room couch, were all, and then Sylvia, because she was carried by her mother, were all able to escape the house. So there's six of them total. Oh, no, one of the other ones in the attic. (laughs) I told you it got too dark. (laughs) It went too dark. So they tried to access the attic, and the the stairs to the attic were, were engulfed in flames. Oh, no. Um, So they got out of the house. They couldn't get to the telephone. 
obviously, because the house is on fire. So Marion ran to the next door neighbor's house to call the Fayetteville Fire Department. There was another neighbor who had also seen the flames and called from a nearby tavern, but both were unable to get in contact with the local fire department. The neighbor actually ended up driving into town to track down the fire chief, F.J. Morris. So Morris is the fire chief. And then the fire chief, uh, when tracked down in person, was able to initiate what Fayetteville used as their fire alarm, which was like a phone tree system where one fire person called the next. And that took quite some time. They apparently were pretty low on manpower due to the war. And Morris said that uh, he was unable to drive the fire truck. I don't know why. I don't know if he wasn't equipped, if he was not like the one who drove it or if he was if he, impaired. It was Drunk. Christmas Eve. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Christmas so had, Eve at like one o'clock in the morning. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he had to wait until someone who could drive was available. So all of this resulted in a very, very slow response from the fire department. So as the fire department is taking their sweet time to get over and help, George and Jenny were trying everything to like get the children out of the house. But they kept having things kind of thwart their attempts. So George, uh, immediately as he ran outside and he got out, he was like, I have a big old ladder that's usually propped in this specific place. I'm going to use it to climb up to the attic window. Uh, And his ladder was missing. It was not in its usual spot resting against the house and could not be found anywhere. Jesus. He barefoot climbed the house's outside wall and broke open the attic window and cut his arm in the process. But he couldn't see anything through the smoke and fire. So he thought he would drive one of his two coal trucks right up to the house and climb on top of them to be able to better access the windows and and get into the house. But even though they'd functioned perfectly the day before, neither would start that night. He tried to scoop water from a local or from like a rain barrel, but it was frozen solid because it was Christmas Eve and it was cold. So they really had nothing that they could do other than just stand there and watch their house burn down and collapse over 45 minutes. That's so sad. They assumed that the five children had perished in the blaze. A help did not arrive until 8 a.m., even though the fire department was just two miles away. Um, But at that point in time, the Sodders' home had been completely reduced to a smoking pile of ash. That's fucked up. Yeah. So... Presumed perished in the blaze were 14-year-old Maurice, 12-year-old Martha, 9-year-old Louis, 8-year-old Jenny, and 5-year-old Betty. Before we go to break, I will give one little teaser for the second half of our story. Once the firefighters arrived, they really could do little but look through the ashes that were already there that were left in like the basement of the house. Um, around 10 a.m., Morris, the fire chief, told the Sodders that they had not found any bones that would have been expected if the other children had been in the house as it burned. However, Morris believed that the five children that were unaccounted for had died in the fire, and he said that it had been hot enough to burn their bodies completely, but no bones were found. So with that little, hmm, Interesting. <laughs> we will go to break and okay. we'll come back in a little bit. Sounds good. That's a good story so far. I'm liking it, Kelly. Thanks. I think I do know this story now. That little last tidbit. Mm. Was that what you did for you when I went? Mm. No, just that they're like she was so bad. She didn't know. The front door was unlocked. 
and the children weren't in the living room, but nope. the curtains were still open and the lights were still on. Hey, little Shemmies. Thanks for tuning in. While we were on our break, I just wanted to let you guys know how you can get a hold of us if you wanted to send us an email with your spooky stories. I'm still waiting for you to tell me those so I could tell them to you. Our email is ffsthepodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear from you on the various social media sites. We're ffsthepodcast on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us at E-F-F-E-D up story time. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We love you, Shemmies. And uh, back to the show. All right. Well, we're back. We're back. back. And now we're back from outer space. space. We yeah. just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. Look at my Should baby. Should have that, changed that fucking lock. Fucking lock. Your okay? Oh. I was like yelling at her. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's saying beer. Pier. Pier. Oh, he's annoying. Pear's always yelling at us, so sometimes we have to yell at him. Pier. Yeah. That was Hercules until his voice changed. Now he's he, now he's a man. <laughs> um, Hannah, I need to know: Did you get to hear Min's epic, long, pitiful, yes. creaky voice yes. meow? <laughs> yes, I've never been able to record it because the second one is never as good as the first one. So when she does it, sometimes it goes so long, like she'll just look at me with the saddest eyes, and it's just. Oh no! <laughs> but it like is creaky sounding, and it's higher pitched than that. It's so <laughs> pitiful. She was meowing up out on like the landing of the stairs, and I couldn't tell if it was her or Sid at first. And I was like, "Which one of you is that?" I'm assuming it's Sid. So I was calling for Sid, and he comes running around the corner, and he like looks at me, and then I hear it again, and I was like. <gasps> It's Min. <laughs> if it's high and squeaky and pitiful and a little broken, like a little cracky, it's Min. Um, if it's <laughs> then it's Sid. And, and he the, usually has a toy in his mouth while he does <laughs> And then she just sat in front of the back door yes. and was like, because she thinks that we are so cruel and we won't let her out. And she Aww. yells at us. Yells <laughs> That's at us, Ollie. And yells. Yesterday, and we do let her yeah, Mom and George are picking me up for Hannah's brunch thing. And I walk out the door. He just darts right out after me. And then he's running around in the field right next to my apartment building. Running. You're, well, that's he, loosely he running. Yeah, he doesn't run. <laughs> he was just like, <laughs> he just he trots just fast enough that I can't catch up to him with enough time to like bend over and grab him, unless I like start to jog. Which and then he'll start to jog. It's like a child. You never start running after a child unless they are literally about to get hit by a car. Because otherwise, they're like, "Oh, we're running now. Let's do it." So I just like followed him until he stopped at the dirt and then threw him inside. But I was just like, Mom and George are just watching me. It was like, George was just commenting on how he's like, Ollie doesn't seem like he's in a hurry. Because he yeah. doesn't want to run away. He just wants to run around. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to our sad, sad yeah, tale. Let's talk to talk to to talk to, talk to, talk to. <laughs> Yep. Let's do it. So uh, when we laugh, left, laugh, left. Gosh, darn it. When we, <laughs> when we last left our Sauter family, the five 
youngest children outside of the two-year-old Sylvia were presumed dead in a house fire on Christmas Eve. However, there were no bones found in the rubble. So the state police inspector attributed the fire to faulty wiring. And if you remember, the uh, they were warned. They they were warned, but yeah. also George had recently had work done and it had seemed fine. Like if it was not if it was faulty at the time, then the people who had done the work would have fixed it. Yeah. And the coroner's office issued five death certificates for the children just before the new year, attributing the causes to fire or suffocation. So suffocation is related to the fire and smoke. Yeah. So that is where uh, we were. And they thought the fire was just hot enough to burn the bones, to burn That's the whole body. That's what Morris thought. The fire just burned up the entire body. So Seems at this point unlikely. in time... likely. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point in time, Morris, the fire chief, told George to leave the site undisturbed so that the fire marshals could conduct a more thorough investigation. But after four days, George and Jenny could not bear to even look at it anymore. So they, um, George had five feet of dirt bulldozed over the site with the intention of converting it to a memorial garden for the children. Aww. So they just brought in some dirt. He was a dirt hauler, f- filled in the basement, covered it all in. Oh, sad. And then they began to rebuild their lives. But they also started to really question the official findings of the fire for reasons that I think you all are also already speculating a bit. So they couldn't understand how five children could perish and leave no bones, no flesh, nothing. And they weren't all little children. Like one was 14, 14. right? It's not 14 like I could five. see if they were all like two year olds, maybe. Yeah. Maybe the bodies would be small the enough. Because bones are so smaller. Yeah. Small. Yeah. But yeah. And five full, full bodies. Yeah. Um, so Jenny actually did a little experiment herself. I like Jenny. I like Jenny and George. They're good people. <laughs> Jenny did her own little experiment. She had a bunch of animal bones like chicken bones and beef joints and pork chop bones that she saved up and she tried to burn them to see if the fire could fully consume them. And every time that she did this experiment, she was left with a heap of bones. Mm-hmm. She also knew that some remnants of various household appliances had been found in the rubble and they were still identifiable. Yeah. So it would seem odd that a body would entirely burn, but like a, I don't know, coffee machine. I don't know if they had coffee machines in the But, like a, but a like a washing stove, machine whatever, or yeah. stove. Yeah. Or would, would still um, be identifiable. And then finally, an employee who worked at the crematorium informed her that bones actually remain after bodies are burned for two full hours at 2,000 degrees. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that, that yeah. like in crematoriums, they still have at least bone fragments. Bone fragments, exactly. Um, Which like, I can that understand. Burns way hotter. Way hotter. Than way longer the house was down in 45 minutes yeah well and i can understand bone fragments being hard to find in a house fire if it was truly a fire that was that hot and burned that long and the body like you may not find bone pieces like you would find tiny little bone pieces an urn Mm -hmm. Um, especially in the 40s like now forensic science like (coughs) they should be able to pull out bone fragments but maybe not in the 40s but it only burned for 45 minutes but it didn't even burn that long and it couldn't have gotten that hot I know fires are super like even in buildings they can create that super heat but they have special freaking furnaces for cremating people. And yep. that's why. Yep. Because, because you it have doesn't to just work in a fire. No, yeah. you have to. It's like a kiln. You have mm-hmm. to get that temperature up. To an insane or a, a oh, man. It's even hotter than a kiln. Cra- uh, no, not insane. Not crazy. I'm trying to not use those words. To a, a mind, mild temperature. Wild. Mind boggling. A mind boggling temperature. I just looked it up. Room temperatures in a fire can be 100 degrees at floor level and rise to 600 degrees at eye level. 
So okay, in so like a house degrees, fire. And crematoriums burn at 2,000 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there were not bones is a legitimate yeah. curiosity. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the fire chief, even though it doesn't sound like they really had their shit together, he should know that. He yeah, should know fire that. Chief, yeah, yeah, he should know um, that. Yeah. Also... I do, and I'm sure you'll get into it, but just the the events of the night leading up yeah. to the fire were a little suspicious to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, so along those lines, there's already speculation because it's like, well, where are the bodies? Where are mm-hmm. the bodies? But then to Belle's point, other things were also not adding up. We had all of those events that happened leading up to the fire. We also had a telephone repairman tell the Sodders that the house's phone line had not been burned through by the fire like they had thought but had actually been intentionally cut by Mm -hmm. someone who would have had to have been willing to climb 14 feet up to the pole and reach two feet away from the pole in order to cut that line holy shit so they thought it was just true but someone intentionally and she heard that thump on the roof yep there's there's more to come with that as well so all these weird events then they also realized that if the fire had been electrical and a result of faulty wiring, as the official report said, then the power would have had to have been dead before the fire started, or as the fire started. So it couldn't have been an electrical fire, right, if because, the power was dead? Well, they said that they um, still could see the family's Christmas lights throughout the fire's early stages, when clearly the fire should have gone out if it was Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I misheard what, like, I misinterpreted what, what you is said. Wait, never what mind did you say thought you were saying that they were saying the power was out before the fire started oh yeah no the power was not out was okay. the point sorry yeah, yeah. No, no that's my fault that and you would think that if it's the the faulty wiring the wiring not working and sparking yeah then it would cause the power to go out yeah as the fire started yeah but the um, the light the rooms were still lighted downstairs when she answered the phone, mm-hmm. and then they saw the Christmas lights still going. Yeah, as, as the fire, the was, fire going. was burning. I don't understand electricity to know. I don't I mean, either. But <laughs> what a comment! I don't understand electricity. I don't understand. I, don't. I turn it on enough. the light and it yeah. and it works. It goes. I am not an electrician. I don't know. Like in my head, I think it could possibly spark and start a fire and still have power I think going. It could. But their speculation was that that could not have happened. That the lights were still on as the fire was burning. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and maybe it was the amount of time that the fire was burning and the lights were still on. I don't really know. But that's one piece of it. The other bigger piece, though, is that the line was cut, not burned through. So I think the fact that wire. it was the fuse box that was burning, mm-hmm. that is why they're saying there couldn't have been power. Because if that fuse box was oh, I damaged, that yeah. controls the power coming from the electrical company and going into the house. Yeah, and no, if that it's damaged. Because if it was just like one wire was that just was a faulty, wire or then, a light or yeah. something. that Yeah, but once the fire starts, then all of that is going to shut down yeah. and not be working anymore. If it's the fuse I mean, box. but if for all of the lights not to work in the house, you have to hit like a point of entrance and exit where they all exist does that make sense like if there's a fire in here it might affect this light but it's not necessarily going to affect the lights downstairs until the fire reaches that place but if they're saying that the fire came from the fuse box then there shouldn't have been any lights on yeah Yeah, exactly in the house so that's that's their argument and that does make sense to me as you talk through it i think that makes sense 
So other pieces of information that continued to come out as time moved on, there was a driver of a bus that passed through Fayetteville late on Christmas Eve, and he said he saw some people throwing balls of fire, quote, at the house. That's what I thought That's with the kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm. Hit the roof and rolled off. If I heard that, I would immediately be outside because the first thing I would think is like somebody's throwing, throwing a Molotov something. cocktail yeah. on my roof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Jenny maybe was a little too trusting well, or maybe yeah. she thought she was she was half asleep or something. They didn't have Die Hard back then. Yeah. She didn't have that explosion. Yeah, for sure. But then also a few months later when the snow had melted, the family was visiting the site and little Sylvia found a hard rubber object in the yard and that's when Jenny recalled that hard thud hitting the roof and the rolling sound and George concluded that the hard rubber object was a napalm pineapple bomb oh my god that the type that is used in like war that um could I don't actually know what a napalm pineapple bomb is I was gonna look it up and I never did but it's supposed to be like a fire starter I guess, or it's be on fire similar to in a grenade. war. Yeah. But I don't think it explodes, I think, is the difference. It just starts fire. It's yeah. a cluster bomb. Okay, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to say one thing, though. Yeah. If it's Christmas Eve and I hear thumping on the roof, I might just it's think it's a reindeer. Yes, like, obviously. So I, I <laughs> Tell me what a napalm pineapple yeah, bomb is. a napalm pineapple bomb. That's a um, fun thing to say. Na- band name claimed mine. <laughs> Napalm pineapple. Napalm pineapple bomb. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Yeah. It's confusing because it looks like it's like a f- grenade. It's like a fragment grenade. And so I don't know if it's like incendiary. Well, and you know, grenades oh. look like pineapples. And that's why well, I'm here's thinking. what it looks like. Oh. So real grenades look like pineapple. When it you, looks like a pineapple. I read in one thing Pine that bag, he yeah. said it does. I read in one thing that he said it was a napalm pineapple bomb. I read another one that was more generic and just said it was an incendiary device of okay. some sort. So I just assumed that a napalm pineapple bomb was in some way incendiary. Yeah. It, it was but a fragmentation bomblet. Um, after release from the aerial, detonated on impact and dispersed 250 high-velocity steel pellets. All right. Well, let's also acknowledge that George Sauter was never in the military, American or <laughs> Italian. Enough. So he may have been like, oh, I mean, can you imagine those like old men being like, I know exactly what this is. Oh, yeah. I'd be like Think totally Grandpa wrong. George. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, I don't know. The point is they found some hard rubber thing. That they, was a some that sort was an of a incendiary bomb of some that sort. they thought was some sort of device. Um, whether or not they were accurate, I don't know. She, but she did hear a sound on the roof, and so the family themselves concluded that they thought the fire started on the roof. But at that point in time, the whole house is gone, so there's no way to prove <laughs> well, it. Well, but it also said that when they escaped from the house, his office was on fire. But when they got outside, the entire attic was on fire. So it does seem like it came from the roof or near the roof. If the and I attic think that was that on fire. that is really but... inconclusive. Yeah. Because um, Jenny said something about it starting from his office, which was on the ground floor. And from what I can tell, they called it the attic. But then I think they, I think it was just a downstairs and an upstairs and a basement. I can't really tell that there's a second level. I know that George and John were in what they called the upstairs room and the other children were in what they called the attic that actually had two rooms upstairs. Hmm. So maybe there's three floors and the, but then no one else was there except for like neighbors and the solders. And so then, yes, they're saying that the stairway to the attic was already engulfed in flames, 
But then Jenny originally saw it in the office, which is downstairs. Their house or their bedroom was also downstairs. So I, I, it's, I it's hard know. to know. And maybe it spread really fast. Like maybe, you know, if you're thinking one side of the of the house, office underneath, and then spreads it up to the ceiling right and it's engulfing the stairs, could have started from down below, could have started from above, and the fire may have crept downward. I mean, the whole place went up in 45 minutes. It was a timber frame house. So it everything caught on fire really fast. Yeah. And we don't know where it started. It's all 100% speculation. Wild speculation. Wild speculation. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. That's mm-hmm. what we do. But they decided it had to have started from the house. It had to have been this grenade or device or whatever. Then to further um, add fuel to this speculation fire, there were sightings of the children after the event. So one woman who had been watching the fire from the road said that she saw some of the children peering out of a passing car while the fire was, while the house was already burning. Yeah. Then another woman at a rest stop between Fayetteville and Charleston said that she actually served the children breakfast the next morning on Christmas morning. She noted the presence of a car with Florida license plates in the restaurant's parking lot. Then a woman in the Charleston Hotel saw the children's photo in a newspaper later, and she said that she had seen four of the five children a week after the fire. She said the children were accompanied by two women and two men, all Italian. She did not remember the exact date. However, the entire party registered at the hotel and stayed in one large room with several beds. They registered around midnight. She tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow her to talk to the children. One of the men looked at her in a hostile manner, turned around, began talking rapidly in Italian, and then immediately the whole party stopped talking to her. So she, she sensed that she just needed to let it go, and she said nothing more, and they left early the next morning. Weird. Yeah. So there's all of these pieces that are not adding up. The biggest one being that there are no bodies. There's not really any way that bodies could have burned in that building. Maybe they're buried under the rubble at this point in time, but we haven't found bodies. And then we have sightings. And then we have like the rubber thing being found. And then we have the phone lines being cut. And we have all the events leading up to to Christmas Eve. So the Sodders were trying to figure out what had happened but the police had had like you know closed the case they said that it was suffocation or fire was the cause of death and they weren't looking into it anymore so they actually contacted the fbi and j edgar hoover sent a letter back i don't know if he was head of fbi i don't know history i don't know everything hoover did yeah didn't hoover found the fbi oh that would be something i, I don't know. know i think so i don't okay. know anything <laughs> cool. yeah, don't well know. j edgar hoover himself sent a letter back but he said it's under local jurisdiction there's nothing i can do we would be willing to help if the local authorities approved it and gave us permission but fayetteville police and fire were like thanks no thanks yeah so Mind they got nowhere business. yeah they got nowhere with the fbi so the solders actually hired a private investigator And he was able to find out a couple additional pieces of information. His name was C.C. Tinsley. He discovered that the insurance salesman who had come by the house before the fire, and if you remember, George said, I don't want any insurance, and then he threatened Mm -hmm. and said, you're going to pay for the comments you've made about Mussolini. He actually ended up being, or he was, a member of the Kurt, why am I not able to say this word? It's not Kurt, Kurt, Kurt. Coroner, 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 coroner. <laughs> I, got I got it. I got it with no help from any 
of you crazy people. <laughs> I didn't know what you were trying to weird say. People. The core. No, I can't say it again. Coroner's jury <laughs> had that had deemed the fire an accidental fire that had started from faulty wiring. This insurance salesman that had threatened George and the family was a member of that group. That coroner's oh. jury. Conflict of interest, yeah. much? <laughs> Um, and then there was also like weird stuff that this uh, Tinsley investigator found out. Apparently, the fire chief claimed this is like in later years, actually claimed that he had found a heart on site and he had buried it in a metal box. This just makes me so mad. And so then he like took the the solders to the site and dug up the metal box that he had buried. And they took that thing and then went and had it tested. And it was a liver. So this jerk was basically just... I guess placing like years later a liver in a box to try and convince the solders that there were some sort of live or some sort yeah, of remains. Yeah, it was so hot also, it burned yeah. all the fucking bones. I know. But looking at that's artist. what I don't even understand. I almost didn't even include this in the story because it just makes me mad and it makes no How sense. So fucking ridiculous. Like, why that would he, he think he's gonna be believed? That he thinks yeah. he has so much fucking power he can come up with this. That goddamn there are no bones, dumb but this heart. bullshit. Well, and like that isn't how, even a heart. Is it's, a liver. it's a liver, and and it's obviously not. How many years later was right. this? Yeah, I don't know how many years later, but it had to have been at least a couple. And it's obviously not like decaying in this metal box. Yeah. And also, if you did do that, then what sort of fire chief are you to like take remains from a sergeant and hide them in a box? Bury it? Yeah. But he, I guess the speculation or whatever is that he just thought if they found any remains, maybe they would be at peace and, and frankly shut up and leave him alone. What a fucking jerk. But it's just such a ridiculous idea. And where the fuck did he get the liver? I, I think it was an animal liver. Oh, I don't okay. think it was a human liver. I guess that's So like how, how stupid does he have to be? So I almost didn't even want to talk about that because it's really <laughs> ridiculous. But that's one thing that the, the investigator kind of brought out in his investigation. But then that wasn't really much else that he was able to find. They did continue to get lots of tips and leads because they had like ads and papers and such. And so over the years, uh, a lot of people would send them things and information. So George followed every single one of them. He he went and t- tracked down every single lead. Uh, George got or saw a newspaper photo of school children in New York City, and he was convinced that one of them was Betty. So he drove all the way to Manhattan, and but the her parents refused to speak to him, so he couldn't get through to see her. But the, she had parents, so presumably not Betty. They received a letter from a woman in St. Louis who said that Martha, who was 12 at the time of the fire, was in a convent there. Uh, There was a tip from Texas where a patron in a bar overheard an incriminating conversation about a long ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. That sounded, you know, not great. Um, And then someone in Florida claimed the children were staying with a distant relative of Jenny's. And George traveled the entire country to investigate every single lead and every time he came home without answers. Sad. Super sad. So then in in 1949, the Sodders decided they wanted to have a new investigation done on the site, on the fire site. So they actually brought in a Washington, D.C. pathologist named Oscar B. Hunter. He did a very, very thorough excavation of the property. He uncovered several small objects, including damaged coins, a partly burned dictionary, several shards of vertebrae. Oh. Hmm. So Hunter sent those bones to the Smithsonian Institution, and the Smithsonian issued a report. And the report said that they were human bones that um, consisted of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to one individual, because of 
forensic science that I'm not even going to read because I don't, I don't know what it means. <laughs> the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. The top limit of age should be about 22 because of more forensic science. <laughs> On this basis, the bones show more forensic, forensic science than one would expect for a 14-year-old boy, which was the age of the oldest solder child. It is possible, although not probable, for a boy 14 and a half to show them the 16 to 17 maturation in the bones. So it is possible, although not probable, that that could belong to any of the children who are missing. So then it would does... only be the oldest boy. I know. I know your questions. And I know. It's interesting that the reports say that there were four children. There were, f- uh, what but you, there oh, were four f- vertebrae. No, no, no. When they talk about seeing like the children, seeing the oh, children yeah. around, they that they four. only saw four You're children. You're right. They only saw f- and there were f- four children. I think one person said she saw a few children out of a window. One just said she served them breakfast. I think all f- I th- I don't know if she said all five or what. No. And then the final one said they saw four of the five. So yeah, there is that. But I will continue to explain what they said in the report about these bones from the Smithsonian. They said they actually showed no evidence that they had been exposed to fire at all. Oh. So it is not likely. So their house was built on a grave. Well, what they think is actually that, well, let me finish reading this. It's very (laughs) strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful excavation of the basement of the house, that it was only these four vertebrae that did not appear to have been exposed to fire. They noted in the report that because the house only burned for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, that one would expect to find full skeletons of the five children rather than only four vertebrae. So what they concluded was that those four vertebrae actually were most likely to have come in in the dirt supply that George had used to fill in the basement when he was creating a memorial. How sad. So somebody was I buried know, in like his some dirt. other person. Like he sourced his dirt from somewhere. I mean, you maybe this wasn't like the 1700s. So like it's not like there I was going to say like maybe he dug up areas where there were like old cemetery, like old. You know how sometimes yeah. like back in the day they would p- plant like one not plant. <laughs> they would bury <laughs> one person behind the house or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that could happen, but it was the 1940s. Like, presumably he had just, like, a big quarry or something. He was... I don't know. I don't know Not that. quarry, I guess. Big pit he was digging dirt out of. I don't know. But they said the four vertebrae... How sad, though. ...came. I know. So that... The, who knows who that exists to, but a person older than the four children... But and not... not exposed to fire. Sad kind of side story, but the reality is still there are no bones. There's they no did bones. a careful excavation. Yeah. There are no bones. Yeah, those kids weren't in that fire. The kids were not in the fire. That, that I just I cannot think that they were. So then, um, Sauter family were not giving up hope. They actually they had flyers printed up. They offered a five thousand dollar reward. They then doubled that reward to ten thousand dollars. They put up a billboard in 1952. At the side of the house that actually became like a landmark in the Fayetteville, West Virginia area because it was there for, I think, over 30 years. I mean, it had the information of the children's faces and it like didn't change. Essentially, they did add one component, which I'll talk about here in a second. Um, But so they put up a a billboard for like 30 years. They never really gave up hope. So one day, the last kind of big piece of tip or information they got is that. Jenny received, I think it was 1968, a mail mail in the letter, a letter in the mail (laughs) from Kentucky, postmarked in Kentucky, but with no return address. And inside was a picture of a young man around the age of 30 with features strongly resembling Lewis's. 
and he would have been in his 30s if he had survived. On the back was written, Louis Sauter, and then it said, I love brother Frankie. I don't know what that means because there wasn't a Frank in the family. Then it says, Illil boys, I-L-I-L, space boys, Illinois. I don't know what that means. Is that that something that has meaning that I don't know? I don't know. And then it has A90132 or 35. I I think that that is like something about the age, 32 or 35. So I don't entirely know what the meaning of all the words on the back were, but it clearly said Louis Sauter, and it was sent to Jenny Sauter, his mother. So then they hired a private investigator to go to the place where the letter was postmarked, but that investigator took their money and never came back. They never found him. Yep. And so they... They never, they never found out. That was what they added to the billboard. They added that picture. They thought it looked enough like him that they were going to add that in case people saw him as an adult, as a 30-year-old man instead of a 14-year-old boy. So at this point in time, it's 1968, 1969. George admitted to the local newspaper that the lack of information had been like hitting a rock wall. We can't go any further. He nevertheless vowed to continue. Uh, Time is running out for us, he admitted, but we only want to know. If they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. And George Sauter died the next year in 1969. Not knowing. Jenny and her surviving children, with the exception of John, I will say. John was the oldest. He never talked about the night of a fire, of the fire, except to say that the family should accept what happened and move on. All the other children... Um, the surviving children, of which there were only four others other than John, and Jenny spent the rest of their lives continuing to seek answers to all of their questions. After George's death, Jenny stayed in their family home. She put up fencing. She added additional rooms. It appeared as though she was trying to put layer after layer between her and the outside. And she wore black the entire rest of her life uh-huh. in mourning and tended the garden at the side of the original home for her entire life. Until she passed away in 19, I think it was 89. I don't have the date here. And that was when the billboard finally came down. The last surviving Sauter child was Sylvia, the youngest baby. She also sought answers using the internet even until she died in 2021. Oh, wow. So speculation continues today. There are actually various theories out there. They, they're they just speculation, really. There's not really any evidence. Some people are arguing out there that... They did die in the fire, but most people are looking for answers because it seems that they clearly did not die in that fire. does not seem they did. But That's speculation weird. continues because we do not know. Oh. Merry Christmas. Dang, and all sad. those children, if they didn't die in the fire, are probably dead now because they were all older than Sylvia. Yeah. yeah. The um, yeah, Sylvia was born in 1928, so that would have made her, I don't know, something... Well, Grant, Grant <laughs> wasn't Grand born in 29? 90. Granny was 30, and she would be, or Grand, sorry, Grand Grand was 30, and she would be in her. I thought you 90s. said that the fire was in the 45. oldest was, or the youngest was born in like 42 or something. I meant that. The oldest was born in 1923. Okay. Good call. <laughs> yeah. 23 to 43. I said a bunch of wrong numbers. That's okay. There, there were 23 to 43. So ni- Sylvia was born in 1943. Okay. The youngest. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, Which would that's make, okay. make her 79. So she actually must have died a little bit younger than we all hoped to make it to. Mm. But yeah, more than likely. Well, she said she was the last surviving of the ones who didn't die. 
Um, Betty was only three years older than her. So, you know, technically maybe, but they probably all died. Sad. Well, that was a good story, Kelly. Yeah. Merry Christmas, baby. It makes me think of the Johnny Johnny Gosh case, too. How there's just like... I'll stop talking about it. I'll do it. (laughs) Save it. No, no spoilies. No spoilies. It just reminds me of like... Save the content. I think especially how like the the kid tried to... Or like there was an attempted... Not attempted. Assumed contact when he was like in his 30s with that picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about your story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but contact with someone, but then yeah. they could never figure anything out. And it's just such a different time, right? Like the nowadays, you would think like if someone, if you told me that he's living in so, whatever Kentucky, like it seems more accessible. Like you would be able to be posting yeah. things on local forums. Yeah, you'd more easily be able to hop in the car and get or there. Or even the fact that like. If there's a fire and a bunch of unaccounted children, everybody would get an Amber Alert. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I'm thinking about, okay, so first of all, maybe the children don't want to be found, never wanted to be found. Because what is the motive these people had for stealing these children? What would be their motive? They well, the All one I guy... can think is that they totally disagreed with George's political and social views and maybe they thought that he was raising his children poorly so they stole the children thinking they would give them a correct upbringing i don't know and brainwash them because i would think once these kids reached adulthood i mean the oldest that went missing was 14 at some point wouldn't you think he would be like i'm gonna go and find my parents and let them know i'm alive well i wonder too because um didn't the one guy, the insurance guy, say you and your children are gonna pay? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and he's... I think he said something about they're gonna burn. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I don't know. But then also, you think about how like these kids, even if he's like fourteen, that's still like almost a decade of trauma, and you have to yeah. think about the fear and like the high stress situations yeah. that these kids are well, going through. What kind through. of lies these people could be telling? Oh them yeah, and, and like brainwashing them. them. That's well, the that's, most likely you thing. Think about is how, made, but why? Why would they have taken them in the first place? Why wouldn't they have just killed them? Call? And why not kill them? I don't know. Because that's a lot less on people your conscience are, people are, than... And they just assuming five children. <laughs> I guess maybe if you think about it, it was so the 16-year-old, 19-year-old, 22-year-old, and then two-year-old who was sleeping in the same room as the adult. So maybe they just assumed they they'll all get, get out. out. And these won't. And yeah, maybe something more on there. And then they didn't want to be told. And so then if they did do it for, with that motivation, like we're going to kidnap them because we don't want to kill them, but we can't let them stay because then they'll tell their parents... Then brainwashing to convince them, it would have to be brainwashing to convince them that their parents were bad in some way and that we saved you. Mm-hmm. And you should never go back to your parents. We saved you. Taking on five children is a big fucking responsibility. Two women and that. two men. When you think about that weird yeah. phone call that they heard about, I like, almost those feel like men it's, laughing in the background. I do have to say it's all speculation, so I tried to not to dig too much in it. But I guess at one point in time, I say it's speculation. More, it's un. 
documented. But at one point in time, I guess they said they tracked down who that woman was and it really was a wrong number. But uh, I don't really believe anything that the police or the fire no. department say. No. <laughs> if it's not documented. They well, also... Well, and two, they could have tracked down the right woman and she was like, oh, yeah, it was a exactly. wrong number. So I don't know that I lean too much on that. So you're right. That could have been them trying to check and make sure that... I don't know what they would check on. Like maybe they'd already stolen the children at that point in time well, because the front the door, door was, was unlocked. unlocked. Mm-hmm. The light was still on. The curtains were still drawn, which the kids would have closed and turned off when they went to bed. But the kids were not in the room anymore. Also, so the maybe ladder they were was stolen. missing. And that's weird because if the well, ladder reaches up to the attic window, like, uh, I think, the ladder I think they used. stole the ladder to prevent them from finding out that the kids weren't there. Yeah. yeah. So that the house would burn down before they would, would see. So that they could, st- I think, I'm wondering if they're, because somebody was watching them go to and from school, I'm almost wondering if this was a long con yeah, to just, just to kidnap, kidnap the just kids. To kidnap. And maybe they, they targeted, I mean, who freaking knows? It could be that these two families were unable to have children of their own, yeah. or two couples, and they targeted someone who they whose beliefs were different and who they didn't like and who they argued against to justify why they were able to steal these children so they could take them for their own yeah. i don't know well like I the speculation too, is endless yeah like how many of them were just like trafficked and sold for various purposes you know like yeah and that this, kind of stuff is always happened it's always and- happened. human trafficking <laughs> is absolute has always happened but um, I think the likelihood of it happening in the 40s is yeah, less so than, than it is now. now. Just because, like, accessibility-wise, it would yeah. be harder to... But if they're traveling like, across state lines and staying in various yeah. hotels that's and true. doing all of this weird, shady shit, like, that sounds... And it may have been that they were trafficked as a byproduct of them wanting to hurt George. Like, maybe yeah. they did end up, like, selling these children somewhere, but it was... Because they just want, they didn't want it to get rid of the children at that point in time. And the goal well, was weird actually. that the car had Florida plates. Yeah. So did they go back down to Florida? And then someone in Florida was one of the, I closed my laptop. Oh, was yeah. One of the people someone who said had, that they were staying with like extended family of Jenny's yeah. in Florida. Yeah. That's right. But then like obviously extended family of Jenny's would, would probably talk like Jenny. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, you could it's go wild. round and round in circles about this. That's crazy. Yeah. So sad for that family. Yeah. So, so very sad. To live and wonder. and Your whole life then yeah. becomes consumed. The rest mm-hmm. of your life is mm-hmm. consumed with the mystery of what happened. Yeah. And that's why Maybe George that was in the, the end. Goal. Right. I mean, if you wanted to torture George, that was you, did, you did it. it. Yeah. In the end, he just said, we just want to know. He was absolutely well, tortured Well, yeah. I by mean, you, you've lost your children. And at that point, finding out that they died is almost a blessing rather mm-hmm. than because as long as there is that thought that they might still be alive, you're never going to stop searching for them. Yeah. The most infuriating thing about all of this is that he was targeted just because he was anti-fascist. He was not a fascist. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. People think that Antifa is such an, an insult. I'm like, I understand that like the movement got a little out of hand, but like, yeah. Literally, it just At means its absolute fucking core, <laughs> I am an anti-fascist. Thank you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. That That makes me the most mad about it. He was a a genuinely good person who, you know... A hard worker. ...was vocal about his opinions that... (laughs) That were... Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not bad opinions, anyway. Yeah, Yeah. certainly not fascist opinions. No. So... 
Well, that's it. That's the end of my story. I hope that got you in a Christmassy mood. (laughs) Yes, I'm waiting for reindeer hooves on my roof. That's it, yeah. And not incendiary devices. (laughs) Yeah, now when I hear noises on Christmas Eve, I'm going to be like, It's a napalm pineapple bomb. (laughs) Everyone knows if they want to blow up my house, Christmas Eve is the night to do it. Because I'll just be like, it's It's Santa! Santa! (laughs) I don't want to look at him, though I'll ruin the magic. (laughs) I'm just going to lay in bed and imagine it. It's so toasty warm in here. <laughs> oh no! Oh See, shit! Now that soon, I live in the apartment. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, is it time to move on to things that don't suck? Who wants to go first? Me. Do it. My thing that doesn't suck is that it's my birthday Day tomorrow. Day for the birthday Ooh, person. Not till tomorrow. I don't have to be nice to you yet. The I said tomorrow. birthday <laughs> person. I, I, I heard you. Hannah Just is you. the birthday person. Hooray. Happy also, birthday, my second Hannah. thing that doesn't suck is that I got approved for Medicaid so I can stay on my $4,000 a month medication. Hooray. Hooray. Hannah can still walk. Hooray. 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 That's good Thank news. you, American Healthcare. Yes. <laughs> but also, fuck you, American healthcare. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Don't <laughs> yeah. say that. I was being facetious, obviously. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're reaping the benefit, so you can say thank you. No. <laughs> no I would say thank you, yeah. American taxpayers. Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> thank you, American <laughs> taxpayers. Hannah, Hannah gets Medicaid. Fuck you, so American for profit medical system. Yeah. Hannah gets <laughs> Medicaid so that Kyle could get a letter in the mail from the Colorado Department of Transportation. Talking about how them reimbursing his tire for the pothole that they never fill is a waste of American taxpayer dollars. Like, we don't <laughs> fucking pay taxes for anything. Oh, my but God. But this is supposed to be things that don't suck. <laughs> yeah, so since you brought that up, what's your thing that doesn't suck? Well, now? for the fourth episode in a row, it's One Piece. Um, One Piece. I love One Piece. Specifically, um, the four kids... TV one piece rap that they do. It's very good. It's so funny and so, yeah, it's silly. Um, <laughs> Perform a little right here. That is my thing that doesn't suck. I bet I could pull it up on my phone, which I think I like. No, downstairs. I want you to perform it. I don't know it. I heard it one time. <laughs> okay, fine. All right. Who wants to go next? Do you want to go? No. Okay. Um, I will go then. My thing that doesn't suck is my dumb cat Hercules. I'm sorry, my wild cat Hercules. That doesn't fit, though. Um, Your silly cat Hercules. My silly cat Hercules. Anyway, that does work. So we got a toy that I thought Sage would really like, and it's a bird, and it has feathers on it, and it tweets, and Sage is terrified of it. And every time it makes a noise, she runs and hides. I mean, like, her eyes get huge, and she slinks down to the ground and literally runs out of the room. And uh, Hercules loves it. So every now and then you'll hear him throwing it around and tweeting it. Well, the other morning... He came running up the stairs, and it was funny because he walked around, and I hear, because, you know, his voice is different now. So it's like, Because his voice changed. He's now an adult. Um, (laughs) He's a big boy. He went through puberty. And uh, anyway, so I was like, I thought that was you running up the stairs. And then I hear the tweeting of the bird. So he carried his bird up the stairs because it was in the living room. (laughs) 
And then he proceeded to play with it for about a half an hour while George and I were laying in bed and we were talking and he was just going to town. He was loving it. So then when George got up, he picked it up to throw it for him and it was soaking wet. He said like a dog toy. He had been chewing on it so much. It was like dripping. And that's my thing that doesn't suck. He was just very cute. And I'm glad he likes that bird. And the whole time he was playing with it, Sage... She'd been sleeping on my pillow. She was just sitting there with her eyes all wide, <laughs> hearing it chirp. <laughs> like, you poor baby. That's cute. <laughs> so now it's your turn, Kelly. Okay. I like kitty ones, but my thing that doesn't suck is actually this morning when I went to pick up Belle right before I got to her, I heard this really funny thing in my podcast, <laughs> which I made Belle listen to then. I rewound it and made her listen on the way. And it's uh, the podcast is 90 songs. No, 60 songs that explain the 90s. But then he upped it to 90, but he kept the title 60 songs that explain the 90s. So if you want to listen to a great podcast and you're nostalgic for the 90s, it's a really, really good podcast. And I was listening to the Dave Matthews Band Crash Into Me episode. And he shared this thought that I thought was really funny and poignant. And that is like, if you remember back in the day, so I'm looking at Salem, those big (laughs) old case logic um, cases of CDs. Yeah. Yeah. He said that looking through another person's giant CD case is one of the most intimate experiences you could ever have. Yeah, It's like 70% to making out. And he said, you might as well just go ahead and make out at that point in time. Did he say he said something about how it's like the equivalent of just like spitting beer into Into each each other's other's mouths. mouths. (laughs) And he said that there is no modern like example of that. Your Spotify favorites list. Yeah, but it's not the same, right? Like being at someone's house and you're just going to know, oh, I mean, look at your CDs and like flip through them and like learning so much about them yeah and, and you can't even peruse somebody's dvd case like stand no, anymore no or we can hide all of our deep nasty secrets way more easily yeah. now you can, can hide you that because that you album, can find that britney spears album that you anything have that you tweeted from 10 years ago well, that's any true. problematic bullshit that, that you said we can hide some of our <laughs> weird little secrets but probably not the big ones and that's yeah. probably for the best but you can hide your love of like 90s boy bands for example <laughs> you can hide that pretty well so I thought that was really funny, and that's my thing that doesn't suck, is thinking about perusing people's CD collection for the first time and how much you get to know about them. That's all. Nice. I like it. All right. Fade it out. Fade it out right here. Wait, wait, wait. There's a really funny part. <laughs> It's coming up. All right. On that anyway, note, I think it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Bye, little shimmies. Bye-bye. Thank you, shimmies. We love you. Have a very merry Christmas. Oh, yes, merry merry Christmas. And a happy holidays. If you happy don't celebrate holidays. Christmas, a happy Hanukkah. Um, yeah, happy Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. Yeah, for sure. All of your solstice celebration. Uh-huh. Yes, happy solstice. Happy Yule. Very happy merry Yule. Yule. Merry Yule. Yule. Yeah, not solstice. It merry Yule? It's not solstice. I say merry Yule. It is solstice. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a winter solstice. I don't know what I'm saying just now. <laughs> it is. It's because you say Yule usually. You say you celebrate Yule. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not like the, the pagans do. do but it's everybody has like a solstice holiday because yeah. if people didn't have a holiday about light this time of year, I think a lot more of us would probably kill ourselves. But Oh, happy Krampus knocked. 
That's my birthday. Yay! Compass knock. Compass knock. The birthday person. Oh, okay. Yay! Yeah, and everybody stay safe and stay warm on the upcoming darkest night, longest night of the year. Don't let your thoughts bring you down, because that's what we're stuck with for the next three months. Cold snow in our thoughts. But it's about to start getting lighter again. Not See you next year. Bye. Valentine's Day. Solder family fathered by George Solder. Lost a couple of sons and a few daughters. But Christmas Eve I don't think the department gave a fuck Cause just two miles and it took them all night to ride By then the house was a pile of ashes and lies Could it be? Why could this mean?